Carbon dioxide emissions is a major cause of climate change, and reducing our carbon footprint is crucial for our survival and food production globally. In this edition, we zoom in on how farmers and agripreneurs can get carbon credits. Many rural parts of the Eastern Cape record a high rate of neurocystisicosis disease, causing epilepsy in children and adults. In our One Health campaign, Voyokazi Makapela, a director at AfriVet, joins us to talk about the causes of NCC and how we can prevent it. In our Agripreneur 101 segment, we meet the founders of Jacobs Jam Company, Nigel and Kristen Jacobs. After over a decade of working in the fruit value chain, the couple decided to build their own legacy. Our book of the week is Dirt to Soil by Gabe Brown. And our farmer tip of the week comes from Limpopo Avocado founder, Michal Muller. This is Farmer's Inside Track, supported by Food from Zanzi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi and welcome to episode 134 of Farmer's Inside Track. I'm your host, Dawn Numdu. We kick off with that promise guide to get carbon credits in Mzanzi. Nicole Ludolf chats to Gray Maguire from Carbon Neutral South Africa. Over to you, Nicole. Thank you so much, Dawn. There are three different carbon credit generation standards recognized in South Africa. Can you please give us a rundown of those standards? There are three different carbon standards that are recognized under South African law. That is the Vera carbon standard or the verified carbon standard from Vera. The CDM, Clean Development Mechanism, that was previously under the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, which is now under a reprieve after the COP negotiations in Glasgow last year. So they're busy reformulating what that's going to look like in a new entity. And then the third one is Gold Standard, which implements methodologies developed by other certification and standards. Can you tell us a bit about the method Carbon Neutral Group South Africa uses to generate carbon credits? The carbon credit generation environment with respect to agriculture is still quite a new field. If you look at the methodology that we're implementing, the methodology that we implement is called the VM42 methodology, the Improved Agricultural Land Use Management Methodology from the Vera Carbon Standard. So we're implementing the VM42 methodology. The methodology was only actually officially released in September 2020. And we are the first company in the world to have gone through the audit cycle, actually processing the data that we received from farmers who've been involved in regenerative farming activities. So that would qualify in five broad areas. And so that would be improvements in irrigation, that would be the minimization of soil disturbance, it would be the improvements around grazing practices and reduction in fertilizer application, and then improved crop applications as well. So things like crop rotations. So those are the main categories that regenerative practices fall under, but obviously there are very many different ways of being able to implement those different sectors. What are the benefits of generating carbon credits and how does it actually work? What happens is that it then allows for a twofold input into the carbon credit generation. On the one side of things, there is a reduction in emissions. So as farmers implement regenerative practices that reduce things like fertilizer application, a fertilizer has obviously nitrogen fertilizer. As it breaks down, it becomes nitrogen dioxide which is a very potent greenhouse gas, has potency of about 275 times that of carbon dioxide. And then on the other side, and this is the bigger part, the development of soil organic carbon. 
So one of the things that is really key in the South African context, we've lost between 45 and 65% of the soil organic carbon that has been historically stored in our soils over the last 80 years as a result of industrial agricultural practices. And what this means is that not only is the soil of uh, poorer quality, there's less nutrients in our soil, it also means that the microbial environment is not as well supported in the soils and the soils themselves are less capable of being able to retain water. It means that there's degradation of soil that happens quite a lot, and it also means that farmers need to use unnecessarily large amounts of water in order to be able to keep their crops growing. So it's really one of the key steps is building soil organic carbon in terms of improving drought resilience, and that is what the main aim of this program is. We generate carbon credits, and then we sell them to the international clients that are in Climate Neutral Group's books who incorporate them as part of their net zero carbon footprinting approaches. And then that allows us to be able to channel funds back to the farmers who are busy physically implementing the regenerative practices on the ground. Finally, can smaller farmers sign up with your company for carbon credits yet? So that's a very good question. And certainly it is our long-term aim. The people who are most vulnerable to climate change from an agricultural perspective are smallholder farmers. They're the most financially vulnerable in terms of when shocks occur, if there's a drought or a flood or a fire, or if there's pestilence, they're the farmers who are least capable of being able to financially ride out these shocks. And also, similarly speaking, they tend not to have invested in the types technologies that can really facilitate being adaptive to climate change. It's absolutely our intention to be able to get there. There are 35 million smallholder farmers in sub-Saharan Africa, and Climate Neutral Group as a whole really recognizes the centrality of being able to make the solution available to them. At this point in time, however, we're still very much in the early phase of really getting to grips with rolling the program out, ensuring that we are able to pay our overheads and ensure that the program can deliver the outputs that meet the standards. These are very data-hungry standards. And the reality is, is that for us to be able to capture accurate data, that tends to come very heavily from the commercial sector. And also on top of that, it also, one of the key things here is that in terms of the amount of effort that we have to put in per farmer, it's certainly like there's a bigger return for us. But as we are moving along, so at this point in time, we are not working with farms that are under 50 hectares in size. We're not incorporating them into the program in this current round of the program, but we will be doing so more and more as we move into the future. And as our tool becomes more and more sophisticated and the amount of time required to process data coming from any one individual farm becomes less and less. We do have some limitations, but these are very key focus areas for us to move into the direction of providing solutions that can work for smallholder farmers, both here in South Africa, but also in the rest of the subcontinent. Thanks, Nicole, and great having you on Farmers Inside Track. Graham Maguire from Carbon Neutral South Africa. We now change gears from climate change and carbon credits to our One Health campaign with AfriVet. Now, many parts of the Eastern Cape record a high rate of neurocysticosis disease, causing epilepsy in children and adults. In our One Health campaign, we talk to Vuyoghazi Makapela, a director at AfriVet, who joins us to talk about the causes of NCC and how we can prevent it. Now, as I mentioned, we're talking neurocysticosis. What is neurocysticosis? Neurocysticosis is a preventable parasitic infection. It is a human disease that causes epilepsy, most often in children. 
And it is a problem globally, most often in resource poor communities. And obviously this would be a topic that is close to my heart because I come from those communities. It is caused by a tapeworm that cycles between humans and pigs. It is most often a problem in conditions where pigs are free-ranging and living in close contact with humans. And this is waste hygiene and sanitation is a challenge. If a person accidentally ingests tapeworm eggs that are shared in human feces, the larvae can migrate to the brain and form a cyst that may result in epilepsy. And I know in our communities, probably people will be seen as witchcraft, basically. But it actually is not. The problem is that the time lapse between infection with the tapeworm egg and the symptom epilepsy can be easily 5 to 10 years in terms of being recognized. It is quite difficult to assess the prevalence of this disease in a community of people because current infections will only show disease years later. What are the causes of NCC? I think you've highlighted some of it now, but what should we be aware of? It is a parasite. It is caused by cysts of a pig tapeworm. More technically, it is called by liver cyst of the pork tapeworm, the tinnasolium. These liver cysts can infect various parts of the body, causing a condition called the cystocytosis. The infection in the brain tissue is the one that causes the form called neurocytosis, and this can lead to seizures or epilepsy. This is a more severe form of the disease and can be fatal. Now, many parts of the Eastern Cape have a high prevalence of this disease. Why is this mm-hmm. and what should communities in this area and others be aware of? You know, when you mention rural, you touch the core of social and societal economic imbalances. And many rural areas have very poor sanitation, unfortunately. But beyond sanitation, it is also food preparation habits. It is important that meat is well cooked because in an event there was infection from the pork, it would have been eliminated by well-cooked pork or meat. Several studies have been conducted over the years, and one study showed that 60% of the cases diagnosed in human patients in the Eastern Cape province, in particular, because that's where I come from, they are caused by the neurocystosarcosis. This area poses a unique challenge in the fight against this disease, as many rural households have pigs living in close contact with their owners. And many communities are still making use of pit toilets, which are accessible to pigs. And indeed, there are products out there that they can actually use to make sure that this does not really affect them in the long run. How can NCC be prevented? Do you have any tips for farmers and communities affected by it? Yes, of course. As I have already said, NCC can be preventable through proper hygiene. And then the simple act of washing hands, parody after using the bathroom or the toilet or digging outside or even picking vegetables will make a huge difference. Wash your vegetables like lettuce, wash them well before eating them. There is also a lot that can be done to improve household hygiene and sanitation. If pit toilets are in use, there are products obviously that can help with hygienic waste management. But beyond proper hygiene and sanitation, it is also food preparation habits. It is important that meat is well cooked. In event there was infection from the pork, it would be eliminated if well cooked. Make sure to wash your hands regularly as we have learned in the past two years because of COVID and just make sure that you prepare your meat well. Thanks once again for joining us, Voyokazi Makabela, a director at AfriVet.
Next up, our Agripreneur 101 features the founders of Jacobs Jam Company, Nigel and Kristen Jacobs. We chat to Nigel this week. Nigel, now after over a decade of working in the fruit value chain, you decided to build your own legacy. Where did it all start? We both worked in corporate for more than 10 years. I was closer to 15 years. Kristen worked for about 12 years. And we always knew that we are entrepreneurs at heart and we want to work for ourselves. So we registered the company on the 21st of May, 2018. And we basically knew two years before that, that we were going to start a company or business. We just didn't know what it was going to be. In 2018, we realized that we have to start with jam and we registered the company. It's now four years later and there's a jam factory and a jam company established. And the reason why we chose jam, it's because we are based in Sierras. We worked for the big agricultural businesses in the town. I worked on the processing of fruit side and Kristen worked on the fresh fruit side. So we have very strong relationships and networks with regards to the fruit value chain. And that's how we started on Jam. We've got access to raw material. We only went out on our own the 1st of January 2019. So that meant that the first nine months while we were working for the corporates was all about writing the business plan, setting up the company from a admin point of view, bank accounts, CIPC documents, tax registration, SARS registrations, all those things we did. We also wrote the business plan and the business plan we wrote after hours and weekends. So let's say by September, the business plan was completed. And then we started our funding application approach and we applied for funding or loans and grants and finance to start the business. We were only successful with achieving the finance two years later. We got our loan approved in December 2019. The only thing we did in our kitchen was we developed the recipes in our kitchen. And it was product development, research and development. We decided that when we start our business, we're going to start from factory level to go directly into retail. Tell us about the manufacturing and production process. The fruit, it's available enormous abundance in the Western Cape. We are based in Sierra, so we grow all of our fruit from 100 kilometer radius. The fruit industry is probably a thousand times bigger than our usage. We're such a small player. Although we produce a lot of jam, we still consider it a small player. Currently, we don't have a problem with sourcing the product or the raw materials. The biggest challenge is, of course, the cost. The prices have basically gone up, I think, by 30% compared to when we started in 2018. And it's only going further up. Now, many agripreneurs we feature here on Farmers Inside Track often face setbacks. Tell us about some of the challenges that you faced. We could almost break it up into three major parts. The first part was accessing finance. We did the whole going to all the entities that's out there that provides funding from developmental financial institutions like the IDC, the Land Bank, the DTI, CIFA, CEDA, NYDA, NEF, you name it. We went to all of them. We even went to commercial banks like FNB and ABSA. So eventually we got the loan. It was a very long process. And out of all of those entities I mentioned, they all said no. So we got basically 10 no replies and eventually the 11th or the 12th one was a success. We thought that access to finance was going to be the most difficult part, but eventually we got the finance. It took us almost two years. 
The next part is access to market. And we are still struggling with that today. So you think that building the factory would be the most difficult part of your journey, but as accessing market, that is the most difficult part in our opinion. Our product is designed to be sold in top-end retail outlets like Pick and Pay, ShopRite and Spa that we are still battling with. And it must be a major red flag for all entrepreneurs. Access to market, in our opinion, is the most difficult thing to achieve because the market is consolidated and the market is conservative. Regardless for what they say in the media, they're not really open to new products from small business. That has been our experience. We're selling to many small independent retailers, wholesale cash and carries and owner-run stores for a few clients in Zambia. So we're close to exporting to Ghana. We've got a few food services customers as well that buy bulk products, white label, catering, confectionery, big tubs, like 25 kilogram tubs of jam. And the next step would be for us to be listed and sold in a national retailer. That is the next expectation for our company is to be listed at pick and pay. The third part is having good suppliers, so access to your suppliers. In order for us to make jam, you need a sugar supplier, you need fruit supplier, other ingredients, and then also packaging. Now, what keeps you motivated? Now, we often say that when we worked in corporate, we were enslaved. We were basically just working for the salary and we were not going to achieve anything at the end of the day. In corporates, we were very high up the chain. We realized that when we retire, we will not be able to leave anything behind. We've got a little boy, he's three years old. When we retire, I can't leave my good job behind and he can inherit my good job. He has to start from over. That's when we decided to start the business so that we can leave the legacy behind for our son. And that keeps us motivated. In a week, there are probably a hundred challenges and a hundred difficulties, but there's also that one or two successes. And that's also what keeps us going. It's the small wins that keeps you going. In four years, we're still at it. Those little wins still keeps us motivated. And this is my favorite part, the tips that we get from our experts that they share with other agripreneurs. What is your advice? I often start off by saying, don't do it. Don't become an entrepreneur because it's so difficult. It's almost impossible to be successful. That has been our experience. And we are in touch with many entrepreneurs in the Western Cape. And a lot of them don't survive because it's so difficult. So before you leave your job and before you embark on an entrepreneurial journey, make sure that you can survive that you're willing to sacrifice and give everything up. Are you willing to lose everything in order to gain everything? Normally, the entrepreneurs would say it takes five years before your business is established and it can take five years before you earn a salary. And I can attest to that. I can definitely say that it can take five years before you start generating a regular income. And when you say regular income, it's nowhere close to what you were earning when you were employed by the corporates. So the one part is be sure that you have the tenacity, the willpower to endure this difficult journey because it's not easy. It is incredibly difficult. It's even more difficult than what anyone has ever told you how difficult it's going to be. The second part is make sure that you can financially carry yourself. In our experience, we saved up enough to carry ourselves for six months. You don't get a salary, but you still have to service your responsibilities. 
And we only saw the loan being disbursed and paid out to us two years later. So we were significantly underfunded from the start. So we didn't prepare enough. The next step would be apply for everything and anything that's out there. So if you see that there's a grant or a loan or a finance facility, apply for it. And you may not be successful, but if your name is in that and it gets drawn, then it can be to your advantage. What we do for all of our funding now is we apply with the forecast of the application paying out 12 months later. And that is a general yardstick that we're using. If you're going the government route, non-commercial, then you can guarantee it's going to take 12 to 18 months before you see any money. Just network a lot. Most of our success stories has come from people just talking about us or us talking to people and then some way someone hears about us and it's a decision maker that can help us going further in our journey. We use social media a lot and it must also be managed We do it ourselves, but we don't just write out everything that happens in our business on the same day that it happens. So if good news happens today, we bank it and we use whatever content we have on our social media platforms right now. And then at the later stage, when the time is right, then we come out with whatever the content is that's also good news. It's not just about putting content out and there's no strategy to use social media and to use it wisely. The entrepreneur must know the numbers by heart, know your costings, know your overheads, and know your turnover and income by heart. You should know it any time of the month, at any hour of the day. The last thing that you want is an entrepreneur that doesn't know how much it costs to make his own product and whether he's even selling it at a profit or at a loss. So if you're not a numbers person, force yourself to become a numbers person. Thanks for joining us, founders of Jacob's Jam Company. Nigel Jacobs. Next up, and before let you go, is our book of the week. It's Dirt to Soil by Gay Brown. Caroline Sampson reviews this book for us. Whenever the term regenerative agriculture is used, the name Gay Brown is soon mentioned. A farmer in North Dakota, Gabe joined the regenerative agriculture movement at the end of the 1990s. In Dirt to Soil, Gabe describes his journey from new farmer to a world-renowned expert on regenerative agriculture with a profitable mixed farming enterprise. My garden is already benefiting from Gabe's advice. Highly recommend this one. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring. And that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. And the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens for Ziri or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. Remember, if you'd like to review a book or perhaps you have a book suggestion, feel free to email us on info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Every week we share a farmer tip and this one comes from Limpopo avocado farmer Michael Miller. Now, excessive chemical fertilizers, fortunately it's becoming too expensive nowadays, actually kills down that fine balance of life inside the soil. If you can revive them, it's not too difficult to revive. Then they should actually help your tree to recover. Now, what we've been dealing with is applying different types of extracts from organic materials like guanos and manures, cattle and or sheep or horse manure. There's not an excretion of that animals. And then apply that to the soil. It feeds not only the microbes, but it also has sufficient nutrients for the plant itself to operate in. 
something important I left at is the point of calcium. Calcium is very important as with humans. So and for that reason, and it's also not too expensive. For that reason, it adds up to about 4,000 to 5,000 rands per hectare. That includes the analysis, research, and seeing what, what is actually contained in the soil, as well as the applying of the fertilizer. And our farmer tip from Limpopo avocado farmer Michal Miller brings us to the end of this week's episode. Remember, if you loved it, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members, and fellow farmers. And be sure to check out our sister publication called foodforafrica.com for inspiration and news from across the continent. From me, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludolf, and our producer, Megan van der Vent, and the rest of the Food for Mzanzi team, have a great week. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans, though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. 